G'day folks, welcome back to the Career Love Podcast, it's episode 2. Thanks for joining me, I hope you're having a ball, whatever it is you're up to. We're going to jump back into my interview with Alan Coleman in just a moment, but for anyone who tuned into episode 1 and heard me explain what Career Love is and how to use the different elements in combination to get the best out of your career, and you don't need to hear me tell it all again, you can skip on ahead to about three and a half minutes to hear part two of my conversation with Alan. For anyone who is new to Career Love and is listening for the first time, this next couple of minutes is for you. Career Love's mission is to help more and more people love what they do, and this podcast is one part of our framework for doing that. I'm just going to take a minute or so to explain the other parts of the framework so that you can get the best out of your career love experience. Okay, so we produce three things at Career Love. They are research, scorecard, and shows. We want to take research so that we can bring you evidence-based insights. We want to find out what really works and bring you good quality information, not some rubbish based on a biased or uninformed point of view. And we package up these insights into research papers so if you want the good info on how to become someone who loves what they do, check out our research yearbook. You can get that from the website now for free. One thing we do with our research is to try and benchmark career fulfillment. We apply a scoring methodology to our assessment that goes out to our research subjects, and that allows us to create some helpful tools for you guys. We put all the tools in our scorecard section. You can go on to our website and take the personal assessment to see how you are scoring in each of the five focus areas for career fulfillment. And you can compare your results to other people like you, people with the same age, gender, location, and industry profile. This is your peer group. This will help you highlight the areas to put your attention to, and most importantly, which ones to focus on right now to start getting better results. Under the scorecard section for helpful tools, we have also the playbook, which gives you some recommended actions in each of those five focus areas, so you can really make a running start at getting your career on track towards meaningful and enjoyable work. Lastly, we produce shows. This podcast is the first of our shows, and we're currently developing a video show that we'll release later this year. The idea behind shows is that all the data and insights from research is one thing, and personalized recommendations are also good, but to really get a deeper understanding of how to apply these concepts in your own career, it helps to hear how other people are doing it. We all learn best through stories, And so our shows are intended to bring you inspiring and insightful career stories so that we can start to synthesize the dynamics at play. We want to understand how people who love what they do approach and organize their working lives, what they prioritize, what they avoid, so that we can start to get a bit of confidence about making some changes in how we approach and organize our own careers. My hope is that people will hear something from one of our guests and go, oh, I see what they did there. I could probably try something like that with a bit of a tweak. I'll give that a go. And I think we'll find a little bit of that here in this episode as we jump into part two of my conversation 
with Alan Coleman. Now in the last episode, we heard Alan talking about the importance of having fun, and he also spoke about having a career vision. In his case, knowing that he wanted to be in business and making sure that his experiences were giving him hands-on learning in what it's like to actually run and grow a business with mixed results, but the focus was on the learning and building skills. Now in this episode, we are going to hear how Alan starts to refine and narrow the focus of that vision when he becomes inspired by the possibilities that Google would create with its disruptive AdWords offering. And so I want you to listen out for how Alan starts to shift his career building into second and third gear by following his curiosity and excitement, and also pay attention to how Alan explains the importance of planning to help turn that excitement and passion from a possibility into a reality. Okay, here we go. Part two of my conversation with Alan Coleman, CEO of Wolfgang Digital. I learned there that I had a premium product, but I priced it to compete with the, the mediocre products. And I captured the top of the market. It was breaking my balls. Like I was, um, I was allowed to use the kitchen before it officially opened. So I was starting work at 4 a.m., making wraps till about half six. And then I had to clean it all up so that people could come in and get set up for the day. Then I'd go to bed for an hour. I'd get up. I'd start making my phone calls. What do you want today? Then I'd start putting the orders together. I'd go deliver them. And then I'd come back and get my stock ready for the next day and go to bed. I'd just go to bed at like 8 or 9 o'clock to get up at half three. Um, so I was working really, 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 really hard. And I wasn't even making minimum wage because I got the pricing wrong. Um, <clears throat> so it was a really interesting scenario where the business is successful in terms of who, you've, who you are selling to, but I was making no money. Um, it was probably illegal because I wasn't even making minimum wage. Um, and then I remember I'd be looking at, like, there was this guy who'd come into the cafe every day when I was finishing up, and he'd open his laptop, and he'd have an Americano, and he'd just sit there like this. And I'd be like, what, what do you do? Like, green with envy. And it was some digital, you know, marketing-type thing. And I was like, why even, what even are you doing? And he seemed, you know, have a chilled-out lifestyle. He seemed pretty, you know, had enough cash anyway to be fluting around drinking coffees all afternoon while he was doing his work. And um, I said, I want to be doing what that guy's doing. Like, um, I'm breaking my heart here for €4.50. Euro I want to be the guy in the cafe tapping away, you know, charging 100 times that uh, for, for my afternoon's work. We all want to be that guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that's, that's where I was. So what happened was I was 27 at this stage, and I experienced, like, I guess, a midlife crisis in that I realized I am actually going to turn 30. Like, that is going to happen to me, and I was disgusted and terrified in equal measures. So I was like, I better fucking get the show on the road here um, and start working towards something proper. So I was like, I want to be that guy uh, when I'm 30. So I put together a three-year plan. And so what happened was the movies wound down. So as they do, you know, they're, they're, they're shot, and then everybody goes, and there wasn't much coming. So I had the, the, the choice to make. So this comes back to a question already asked. It's like, do I try and build myself a new customer base? Um, and sell it to them, or do I just wrap this up? And um, so at this one, I said, you know what? I'm not getting too much jo- I've learned a lot. I think the learning's made here. I don't need to flog this. I could go and uh, do my free samples all over more and more offices and that, but I'm kind of falling out of love with it. It was great, and I got to execute on a project. I got to turn an idea into a reality, and that's a beautiful thing. There's an art in that. Um, 
but I was, I was ready to move on to, to be that guy sitting upstairs. So I put together a three-year plan. So um, I saw something in the Irish Independent about digital marketing being the fastest growing type of marketing all the, t all the way back then. That was 2007. And um, I decided this is it. This is it for me. Like I loved marketing anyway. Um, I had lots of experiences of selling smoothies at markets and doing door to door. So I think I can do this in a digital sense. Um, so the three year plan, year one was get a postgrad in digital marketing. Years two and three were work for a digital marketing company. And then at the end of year three, it's like, let's do this. Let's, I'm off out my own and I'm going to create my own digital marketing company. If I can be a freelancer, you know, if I can be that person who's enough work to keep them going, make money, that'd be gold. Um, so I left the, I stopped what I was doing and I um, applied for a postgrad in digital marketing in the Fitzwilliam Institute. And um, that was going to cost a few quid, so I needed some money. So I went to the bank, and I said, I want to do a postgrad. They said, how much do you need? And I said, I think I need six grand. And like, do you want more? You know, it was 2007. I was there, 10 grand? They're like, OK. Um, <laughs> so Fitzwilliam said, yeah, no bother. You're in. We're starting in September. And so I wrapped up what I was doing in, in maybe July time. And I said to my girlfriend, who's my wife now, I said, do you fancy going to Malawi for a month? Um, I've got 10 grand in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> that was 2007, all right. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, she was there, yeah, let's do it. So she took the time off work, and um, we fecked off to Tanzania, Malawi, Zanzibar. Had a deadly time. Went to a festival called Lake of Stars. You know, met some friends there, who some, you know, some of my best friends now. So really brilliant experience. Life-changing experience in many ways. Um, and we'd raise money, actually. We'd done a swim and raised a lot of money to plant wells up in the back arse of Malawi. So we got to go and visit the wells and all of that. So really, really meaningful, brilliant, brilliant trip. I'm going to pause in because you said life-changing experience there. Yeah. So the story, the picture I'm building is you're 27. Yeah. You're feeling internal pressure to get the show on the road. Yeah. You're feeling confidence because you feel like you've proven yourself a few times to, to build up, you know, you can bring an idea to life. But then something is happening in Malawi before yeah. you actually kick off. And is that important? Um, I wonder. So I met a guy who's, who's, who's one of my best friends now, and he's very inspirational to me. He's, um, uh, he's, got, he's got loads of pubs and stuff like that around Dublin. His name's Trev, and he's got a and, you know, body tonics out of Bernard Shaw and all these places. So I met Trev, who would be the guy behind all of that. And that was very inspirational uh, because just I could see what he'd done, you know. And uh, after that, I came back. He said, yeah, come in and meet me in the office as we were doing. What were we doing together? We were doing some more fundraising. And he took me to the Bernard Shaw and took me upstairs, like the stairs. You had to climb up because there's three steps missing in real. That's how he rolls. Like he just, you know, be a bit of a shit kicker place and he'd do it up. And I went upstairs and he opens the door and there's just like you know, an office room this size, and there's about a dozen people on, you know, Apple Macs, like, promoting this pub, you know, and stuff, are fucking hell, man, like, you bought all those computers, you know, and you're paying all their wages, and what the fuck's going, this is, a, you did that, and you're, you know, you're the same age as me, this is amazing. Um, so there was that, there was, it was just a, it was a great trip, you see people with nothing, actually, is another thing, you see the happiest people I've ever seen, they're the poorest people I've ever seen as well, so you get a real sense of maybe my fear over needing to make something out of myself, and then seeing these people do very little and they're very happy in their lives means, okay, this is like, this doesn't have to be a stress. You know, this right. could be something that's an adventure rather than a stress. Hey gang, 
Just a quick break here to talk about the five dimensions of career fulfillment and where they came from. So, in our first ever research study, which was at the beginning of 2020, just before COVID turned all their lives upside down, we uncovered these five dimensions of career fulfillment. These are the things that people who scored highest for career fulfillment focus on when it comes to developing their careers. So let me tell you what they are. We start with fun. Pretty self-explanatory. Work should be fun. And even if you don't have what you might describe as a fun job, you can still do things every day to cultivate a sense of fun in your work. Then we have adaptive. Adaptive careers are flexible. They adapt when you need them to. This means having more control over when, where, and how you work so that when your personal priorities change, you don't feel trapped in a situation that no longer works for you because of your job. And then we have transformative. As we say here at Career Love, no one starts their career in their prime. To develop the skills, attributes, and qualities that are needed to fully reach our potential, that requires personal transformation. Using your career as a platform to test and challenge yourself, to build resilience, and develop finely tuned skills is what transformative careers are all about. Then we have social, and that is all about harnessing the power of social connections at work. We all know about the happiness studies that tell us belonging to a community and having close friendships and family connections that help us feel supported and valued are vital. And this is most certainly true for happiness at work too. And then meaningful. Knowing that your work has some value, that it has a positive impact on people's lives in a way that makes you feel good. Meaningful is also about finding a connection between the work you do and your unique set of strengths and capabilities. I like to describe meaningful careers as a truly great fit. And if you've ever had an outfit that felt super comfortable while also making you look your best, you know, drawing attention away from those non-flattering bits and highlighting all your best parts, you know what I'm talking about. So if you want to see how you're scoring in each of these five areas, and to find out which one to start working on first, jump on over to the careerlove.org website and take the assessment. And if you find the scorecard helpful and fancy getting some tailored recommendations on what to do next, you can request your free playbook and we'll email it to you. Okay, back to the interview. Okay, good. So that sounds like a perfect platform to jump off. How important was the Malawi trip and whatever happened there to position you for what was about to happen next? Um, I never thought of it like that. Let me tell you what happened next and I'll let you make up your own mind, okay, right? Okay, cool. <laughs> so I came back from Malawi and there was two letters. Um, one was from the bank and the other one was from the Fitzwilliam Institute. So I opened the one from the bank and that said, yeah, you're 10 grand in your bank account. If you need to change your mind, you've got two weeks. And I said, it's not 10 grand anymore. <laughs> and there's more than two weeks have passed, you know, giggling away to myself. And then I opened the one from the Fitzwilliam Institute, and it's like, oh yeah, due to lack of interest, the course has been postponed. Um, so I said, what lack of interest? Digital marketing, like, do these people, like, does nobody realize what is there? Okay, I have a real problem now because I have eight, seven, six and a half grand in the bank, <laughs> and no job, and nothing to do, and my whole kind of three year plan is kind of up the swanny now. Do I wait till next September to try and start here or somewhere else? So I said, what do I do? 
So let's just jump to phase two, year two of the plan, which was to go and work for a digital marketing company. Um, so is there, okay, that makes sense. I don't have the qualification, but let's just get the experience. Let's just jump to that and do two years of that and then go out on my own. Um, so I started applying for jobs and I got interviews in Google. And like going there, I just fell in love with the place. First of all, it was like the fun factory and the happy pair in that it was yellow and purple and orange and it was young and cool and that and I was there. So those values that were in the places I've been really happy and been really productive um, and learned a lot, I, I, I could see them there and I was like, this is perfect, I love this. And in going through the interviews, the more I went through them, the more I fell in love with it. Once I realized how Google AdWords works, is there, this is the best advertising the world's ever seen. Like, this is going to fucking destroy traditional advertising. Um, so I was begging them. I was begging them. I was like, I will do anything. I want this job so much. Um, and I didn't get it. Um, I can remember the moment I was in Dunphy's Pub in Dunleary. I don't know if you know the IMC Cinema, the old man's pub right across from that. I was there. We had a friend and a pint of Guinness in hand, and uh, phone rings, oh, it's cool, oh, it's cool. And I said, how are you doing? And they're like, yeah, sorry to say, you know, you, you didn't get the job. You did get to the last two. Um, but we went with the other guy, his experience is more relevant. And I was gutted, like my world just collapsed. But even before I got off the phone, I said, look, do you know what? Thank you, you know, thanks very much because I'm so in love with what you do. I'm just gonna go and do it anyway, okay? So, you know, watch this space. Um, and so that's what I decided. In that moment, I was there, fuck the three-year plan. You know, it's now become a three-month plan. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to start the business now. Uh, that's, what, that's what has to happen. Um, so that was 2007, and I was there. This is going to be harder. It's going to be higher risk. But at that three-year mark, if I get it right, I'll be so much further along than if I was leaping in now. With a lot of experience and connections and all of that. Um, and I'd never worked in the advertising industry or in the marketing industry, so I was coming into this industry completely cold. Um, so I'd say that's the end of that chapter, is kind of leaping in with the three-year plan becomes a three-month plan, and I'm saying, you know, what, what do I do next? Sounds like you were absolutely welded to the idea of doing it, though, right? Yes. So what was driving that? What was going on in your framework that you were like, okay, I don't, I'm not qualified and I don't have any experience in this, but I'm doing this. I'm doing it. So, yeah, so that's a really good question because once I saw the opportunity, I was like, this is happening. Like, this is fucking happening now. So I need to get at the center of this. I need to, whatever it takes, like there was no point going to work for another digital marketing company because I just needed to be doing Google AdWords. Um, <clears throat> so I was just there. But the thing is, <clears throat> it's not like accountancy. It's not like, or any profession. It's not like there's like four decades of people who've been doing this in front of me and they all want the top seat and they're not getting out of it until they their turn. I said, no one's an expert in this. Like I could realistically be in the top three in Ireland at Google AdWords in three years, like outside of Google. Um, so, so you recognize that the opportunity was there yeah, and that the experience wasn't as necessary as you might've thought it was going No on. one has it. So I'm just gonna go and start hoovering up experience straight away and I'm gonna get out ahead of everybody else. So internal pressure. Yeah. I want to do something now. Yeah. Opportunity. I could do this now. Yeah. And actually, it's such an important opportunity. That, like, let's just go. It just has it. to happen. Yeah. It just has to happen. And I was terrified. I thought everybody in the country is thinking the same thing. Because they're like, there must be loads of people about to do this too. Like, it's so obvious to me that this is going to be huge. Um, so, like, in a way, fast forward ten years. Like, I made a bet. 
back then that Google AdWords is gonna become a big deal. Google had become not just big in advertising, they're the second largest company on planet Earth. So I've just been riding the coattails of that uh, for the last 11 years and figuring out how I face the next challenge of growth as, as, as I go. What was in your previous experience that allowed you to see that opportunity for what it was? So I always loved advertising in college. I would have, we, when we had projects like start your own business projects, I designed like this projected ads on buildings and business. One of the businesses I tried to start up when I came back from Australia was something I saw there. It was billboards on the back of mopeds. And um, when I came back and I was trying to do that. And then the EcoCab lads, I don't know if you know Olaf and Andrew, they, um, you know, the EcoCabs at the top of Grafton Street where they'll take you anywhere for free. They, they were doing that. But I came back and I tried to start an advertising business. It was the first thing I tried, actually. So I always loved advertising. And I'd been in college, so I understood like, what it's supposed to do. But once I saw that with Google, you can actually attribute a sale to your advertising. Like, no qualms about it. You can directly attribute that to that as our this is the best advertising world's ever seen. This is going to be huge. Another quick break here to mention our social mission at Career Love. We want to help as many people as possible avoid careers that feel like they're draining your energy and holding you back from a well-lived life and create careers that give you energy and help you thrive. We think that for this to be the norm rather than the exception, there are some very important structural changes needed in the way that we approach work as a society. And so, as well as helping people get their hands on good quality information, we aim to highlight the ways in which the current system is broken and to change the game so that more and more people can love what they do. And I wanted to ask for your help. There are a couple of key things that you can do to help us out that just take a couple of moments and don't cost any money. Right now, the things that we're focused on are improving our tools and growing our audience. So if you could share your experience with us and tell us how we can improve our scorecard and our playbook to make them more useful or work better for you, I would love to get a message from you via our website. There's a contact form at the bottom of the homepage at careerlove.org. Or you can go to any of our social pages on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn and send us a direct message there to tell us what you think. User experience feedback is the very best way for us to make sure we are producing content and tools that really help people in a positive way. And to help us grow our audience, you can do any of these things. You can leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Kind and positive reviews are very, very helpful. You can subscribe to the podcast and also follow us on our social pages. And you can tell your friends and your family about what we're up to. If you know someone who could benefit from what we're doing here, let them know about us. Okay, guys, talk to you soon. Back to the interview. So then you're about to start what we now know as Wolfgang Digital. Yep. How did it start? So I had a plan. So just like I had a three-year plan, I guess I'm big on plans. So like a really formational moment in my life was, yeah, so the plan came from how to train for a marathon. So I'll explain that to you. So when I came back from Australia, one of the things I wanted to do, myself and a friend decided we were going to swim from Hout to the 40 foot across Dublin Bay. 
And we had no idea like how far it was. When we were on Bondi, we swam. We, one day we were, we were you know, having a few beers saying, do you think we could swim the length of Bondi Beach? So I bet you we could. Let's try it tomorrow. All right. So we, we did it. And we're like, this is easy. And we went back. And we're like, that's Jesus. We did it. So I think we might have ended up swimming like two kilometers or something like this. We didn't even go back. We just did it once and high-fived and thought we were brilliant. Um, so we checked, you know, what is the distance, and it was about a mile, and we're like, we should do something epic when we go back to Ireland. Like, we should train for six months and try and swim from, like, the pier to the 40 foot. Uh, and then we checked that, and we're like, yeah, that's about the same as Bondi Beach. So then we're like, how about the 40 foot to Hoth? And, uh, like, with no knowledge of sea swimming or anything, we're like, yeah, we should do that. So for, like, we said it, we let it float away, and then on a new, you know, coming up to New Year's Eve, I said, do you want to try and do that next summer? Like we could start training in January and do the swim next summer. Um, so fair play to Simon. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So like, how do we even figure out how to train for this? Like I, I had swam a lot up till the age of about 15 or 16, 26 or 27 at this stage. Um, and I'd done no swim. Uh, so we said, we say, well, how far can we swim now? And we got in a pool and we could swim 800 meters and they were, we were done. <laughs> and the swim itself was 8K, so it was 10 times that. But that's if you manage to swim straight and there's currents and everything. So you will swim 11 or 12K. So I got a, a book from the library because I was penniless at, the, at that time. So everything was from the library. And the book was The Non-Runner's Guide to Marathon Running. So it's all about how you can go from like not running at all to running a marathon in four months. And I just converted the distances. So I made the marathon distance are 11K, and I made the first run are 800 meters. And I just charted it out over four months, which got us from whatever it was, February through to May, in a pool. So we got up to 7K in a pool. So we'd be going, we'd meet on a Saturday, and we'd go out to the National Aquatic Center, because it's the only place you could swim for three hours. Like, and we'd just be looking at the bottom of the thing. And it'd be hilarious because we both started getting really skinny because we knew nothing about nutrition. And uh, like I remember getting in the car looking at Simon going, look at the size of your fucking head, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because his body was just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking from all the, the like, just ridiculous lengths we were doing. Um, so we got up to 7K in the pool. We got in the sea, really cocky. Like, yeah, we'll just belt out 7K in the sea now. And we're pretty much ready to go. And we could do about 2K in the sea and it killed us. So we realized we had to build back up now. So it took us till the end of the summer. And um, long story short, like we did it. We did it. And we only found out after that um, we're the first people to ever do it. Um, it had never been done before because you can't get permission from Dublin Port to swim through their lane or Dunleary Port <laughs> to swim through their lane. And we just didn't ask. Like, uh, <laughs> we did ask Dublin Port because a lot of ships come in and out of there. But we, on the day, we couldn't get in contact with them. Uh, the lads in the boat were like total amateurs. Two of them have been up all night. We literally had to go to the house the party was in and get them to come and be our safety people in the boat. Um, and they didn't get in touch with Dublin Port. And then we just swam through Dunleary because we just we checked the timetable and it looked clear. Um, so we made it. Um, and we found out after that like no one had ever done that before. So like it was that was a real revelation in my life. And I was there, there's some serious learnings here. And I think the first thing I learned is the plan. Like I had in a spreadsheet which at every swim. Yeah, from the first swim, that 800 meters, where all this was an idea, right through to us being able to swim 12K. So I knew every week what I had to do every week to get from 800 meters to, to success. So the plan was huge. And then being able to flex the plan when all of a sudden you go, oh shit, we, we actually, the pool isn't the same as the sea. We got to rearrange. But if you have a plan, you have all the fundamentals to flex. 
And then the other thing was a good partner, you know, good people. So there were times where I was there, Simon, we can't do this. I was there, I think we should quit. I don't think we should try, it's too dangerous. Um, and, and he was there, I've been training like a dog for seven months, I'm, I'm fucking doing it. And then, you know, and then that would flip. There'd be other times where he's there, I can't go on. I, like during the swim, like I'm, I think I'm done. I don't think I can make it. I was there, Simon, like I'm not leaving, you know. <laughs> we're, we're doing this together, come on. So what I learned from that was the power of a plan, the power of a good partner, uh, or good people around you. So when I decided I was going to start the business, I understood the plan part is crucial. And everything I've done since, I realized the plan part's really, really important. It's easy to be a busy fool. So easy to be a busy fool. Like money misspent, you can always make back. Time misspent, gone forever. So I'm always very anal about time management. And I'm always very particular about the plan. You know, what's the mission and what are the milestones we need to hit to get to the mission? So to start the company, is there just two things, well, three things I'm building here. They always need to be improving. So number one is my skills. I want to be in 12 months, like top three in Ireland at Google AdWords. So I need to be building my skills all the time. Number two is revenues. Like at that time, I had no money. I was going to be delivering pizzas at night to do this during the day. And my girlfriend was going to be paying more. It was supporting me financially. So I needed to be building revenues all the time. Even if I wasn't paying myself, I needed to be building revenues in the company. And then number three was a profile. Was I needed, it's not just good enough to be the best, you know, top three in Ireland. You, you need to be known. Okay, that brings us to the end of part two of my conversation with Alan. Really great to get his take on the importance of planning. And I would say that actually learning how to plan well is one of those essential foundation skills that we're going to need if we are aiming to create a career that we can really love. Uh, Next episode, it really starts to get exciting and juicy. Here's some examples of what to expect when we talk to Alan next time. The reason I failed accountancy all the time in college was when I was supposed to be studying, I was playing championship manager. Um, so I was always mad for, you know, any data-driven strategy games, fantasy football, championship manager. So I was always, I was building this skill set for data-driven strategy games before that was a work skill. And then when Google AdWords arrived and I started doing it, I said, this is what I've been fucking doing for ages. <laughs> you know, this is that. This is, it's like in Championship Manager, you know, choosing a player, looking at his attributes, putting him in, and then watching his performance and saying, no, he's out, someone else is in. So I was now choosing words and writing ad texts and linking them up with each other and watching their performance and editing and moving budget, just like in those games. And I was there, holy fucking shit, like this is one of the, 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 the small things. I found another one of these things that I'm good at. Um, so I was just relentless then. I was there, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. Like, and I, I can see myself getting better all the time. Then the fucking economy falls off a cliff. <laughs> then there's a global <laughs> financial crisis. And the, the, you know, the lads come to Ireland to bail us out. And I was like, oh man, like, this is just kicking the nuts after kicking the nuts. But the thing is, despite all these things that were massive problems and huge sources of stress happening like, consecutively, the fact that I knew on my plan, I had these two or three things that always needed to be getting better and they were always getting better and I was enjoying it like, and I was, I was loving those. Okay guys, that wraps up the show. Um, great to be at the end of episode two of the podcast and looking forward to episode three. I hope you will continue to join me. Um, as always, uh, if you 
jump on to social and um, engage with our content there. Um, that's really going to help us to grow our audience. And one way you could do that is let us know if you have a, a question that we could answer um, for you to help you out in, in your career. Um, so jump onto social, drop us a DM, or you could go over to the website and hit the contact form on the homepage uh, with a question that you would like answered on the podcast, and uh, we'll do our best to get to those um, when we have some time. Okay, guys, in the meantime, I hope you are having a great time wherever you are, wishing you happy times at work, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.